Today on the Matt Wall Show, the governor of Texas has provoked extreme outrage from the left by declaring that all so-called gender-affirming medical care of minors in the state now qualifies and will be prosecuted as child abuse. He's facing backlash and mutiny over this, but he's obviously completely correct. We'll talk about why. Also, the latest on the crisis in Ukraine and the incompetent response from the Biden administration. Speaking of which, John Kerry has come out to explain that global war is bad, mainly because of all the carbon emissions. Plus, Biden announces his Supreme Court pick. Lots of news today in our daily cancellation. The celebs are chiming in on the Ukraine situation, and their contributions to the conversation have so far been far worse than you can imagine. I'll play something for you today that is so cringy and embarrassing that it probably needs some kind of Surgeon General warning attached to it. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, 40 years ago, Ronald Reagan saw massive inflation unlike anything the country had ever seen before until today. In Reagan's own words, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Right now, your retirement accounts are under attack thanks to the inflationary policies of this administration. If you've not yet called Birch Gold the only people I trust to help you diversify your 401ks and IRAs into gold, then you're missing the boat. Actually, you're treading, the, treading water without a life vest. Birch Gold has your life vest. Let them help you convert an IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. With thousands of satisfied customers and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your savings. And uh, all you got to do is text Walsh to 989898 to get a free info get on gold. Reagan knew the biggest threat to your wealth, and uh, you can protect your wealth and protect yourself now. And you can do it with Birch Gold. It's very easy. All you have to do to make that happen is text Walsh to 989898. Again, it's Walsh to 989898 to get your free info kit now. We will have the latest on the Ukraine situation at the top of the five headlines. But while important events unfold overseas, there are things happening closer to home which still deserve our attention. One of the consequences of living in a society effectively run by social media and cable news is that it can be hard to properly prioritize things or to know where we should focus our attention at any given time because lots of things tend to get lost in the shuffle. Even things that are, that are happening right in front of you can get lost. You know, binoculars are good because they help you see things that are happening far away. It can often be useful to know what's over the horizon. But if you walk around with binoculars on every day, all day, it's going to wreak havoc on your depth perception, and soon you'll be not able to distinguish far from near, and lots of things closest to you will escape your sight completely. And I think thanks to modern media, we're all basically walking around with binoculars on all the time. Except in this case, the binoculars themselves are unreliable. You, know, you can never be sure if the images you're seeing are distorted or not. Maybe a funhouse mirror would be a better analogy. But in any case, all of that to say, I want to begin with a significant series of events unfolding here in the United States, though you may or may not have, have heard about it. In Texas this week, Governor Abbott announced that so-called gender-affirming care for minors would be treated and prosecuted as child abuse in the state. Here's a national review with the report on this. It says, quote, Governor Greg Abbott on Tuesday ordered the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services to investigate doctors and parents who enable a child's gender transition surgery. Abbott's direction comes after DFPS confirmed in August that gender transition surgery on children constitutes child abuse when Abbott asked the department to issue a determination on the matter. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton also said earlier this week that gender transition procedures, including hormone therapy, puberty blockers, and sex reassignment procedures, are abuse under existing law. Abbott wrote in a letter to DFPS on Tuesday directing DFPS to, quote, conduct a prompt and thorough investigation of any reported instances of these abusive procedures in the state of Texas. The governor writes that the attorney general's opinion makes clear it is already against the law to subject Texas children to a wide variety of elective procedures, 
for gender transitioning, including reassignment surgery that can cause sterilization, mastectomies, removals of, removal of otherwise healthy body parts, and administration of puberty-blocking drugs or supra-physiologic doses of testosterone or estrogen. The letter was also sent to other Texas agencies, including the Texas Health and Human Services Commission, the Texas Medical Board, and the Texas Education Agency. So this was, at Texas actually, I believe, last year, they tried to pass a law uh, banning these procedures, and it didn't make it through. And so now Greg Abbott is saying, you know what, it's already banned because uh, child abuse is banned in this state, and this is child abuse. Now, we'll talk about why this move was entirely justified and necessary in a moment. But first, I think we have to tell the rest of the story. Because as you would expect, the backlash against this move by the Texas governor has been severe. Five leftist DAs in Texas have already announced that they're not going to follow the order. They're going to defy the governor's order and refuse to prosecute this kind of child abuse because they're big fans of child abuse. And I'm paraphrasing what they said, but this is basically what they said, that they're big fans of child abuse and they want to see more of it and they're not going to prosecute it. Um, I mean, they want to see more kids uh, with you know their body parts chopped off. That's the, they're, they're into it. They like it. And so this sort of mutiny is happening in Texas. And this comes after several days of hysterical outrage from the left and the trans lobby. Celebrities like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Busy Phillips, both of whom have trans or non-binary quote-unquote children, have spoken out. So is the actress formerly known as Ellen Page. Gabriel, uh, Gabrielle Union, also the parent of a quote trans kid, called the policy dangerous and horrific. Josh Gad, who's the guy who voices the snowman in Frozen, said it's pure evil. The media has published articles, you know, with dramatic headlines claiming that Texas is, quote, denying health care to trans youth. And sometimes the headlines are even less subtle, like this one in The Nation that says, Texas is terrorizing trans youth. And of course, as expected, there have been the emotional interviews with some of the parents who are now rightly categorized as abusers by Abbott's new policy. Here's just one example. They are parents of a child who is transgender. And you may remember in 2016 when they invited Attorney General Ken Paxton over for dinner to discuss trans rights. Well, fast forward six years. For him to call us the child abusers is such a betrayal. Earlier this week, Governor Greg Abbott and the Attorney General wrote to state departments calling gender-affirming procedures as, quote, child abuse, asking them to investigate. So it's not really a question of whether it's health care, right? It's a question of what authority parents have. And that parental authority is federally protected. Joanna Grossman is a law professor at SMU. She teaches family and gender law, says the only teeth in these directives is fear. For him to sit at our table and then call us child abusers. How about invite me over for dinner? I'll, I'll come have dinner with you. And I'll look you in your face in your own house and call you child abusers because that's what you are. You should be in prison. You don't deserve to have your kids. You're hurting them. You're bad people. You don't love your kids. Because when you love your kids, you don't do this to them. You don't poison them and mutilate them. Now, you notice that now suddenly the left cares about parental rights. They believe that parents have essentially two rights. First, to kill their children in the womb, and then to have them castrated or mutilated outside of the womb. Those are, that's like pretty much the entire list. That exhausts the list of parental rights as far as they see it. Beto O'Rourke, uh, seeking to complete the trifecta by losing a Senate race, a presidential primary race, and now a governor's race, put out a video um, as he's running for governor now, shortly after the, uh, the announcement, making the familiar and totally false connection between so-called gender-affirming care 
and a reduction in suicide among so-called trans youth. Let's watch that. I have an unbiased youth in the education system of Texas. I was wondering what you were going to do to protect my rights and my parents' rights to be able to put me on testosterone. The trans suicide rate has been the highest it's ever been in Texas since those bills have been placed. I mean, we're, we're seeing people trying to take their lives right now, and it's a tough thing for us to talk about, but you're right, we should say it out loud. So we speak about everyone in this state with pride. We talk about a Texas that is big enough for all of us. We target no one based on any difference between us, whether it is the color of your skin, your country of national origin, or the fact that you are non-binary. I think you're amazing. I'm proud of you. I want you to do great things in this state, and I'm gonna support you in doing that. And I'm gonna say that publicly as the governor of this state. That's gonna be a big change for Texas. It just feels like he would be defending me and caring about my rights as a trans non-binary person. It feels like he'd care. And he'd actually listen to our voices and our thoughts about everything. So inspiring, Beto. Now let's um, introduce some reality. First of all, there is no evidence at all that sex change procedures in children, whether drugs or surgery, will prevent them from committing suicide later in life. That's a lie. Just a lie. That's all it is. One of many that these people tell. They use suicide as emotional blackmail. That's how evil they are. Coercing people and parents into tolerating the mutilation of children based on the false choice that either children will be mutilated or they'll kill themselves. I mean, that's, that's the choice that's presented. Well, we can drug and poison and mutilate them or they can kill themselves. Your choice. No, that's not the choice. It's not grounded in reality. In fact, available studies show that the suicide rate among trans people remains enormously high whether they have surgery or not. There are no reliable studies that show that uh, trans people have sky-high suicide rates and then you get them uh, surgery and you put them in a really infer- affirming environment and then the suicide rate goes down to you know the, the, the national average. No such studies exist because it's not true. Why? Because being at war with your identity, unable to accept yourself for who you truly are, breeds despair and no drug or surgery can solve it. The only way to solve it is to help the gender-confused individual to see reality and embrace it for what it is and embrace themselves for who they are. You know, and by the way, if um, if we need this in order to prevent suicide, was, was there a whole, 20 years ago, was there a whole rash of kids killing themselves because um, at that point, none of them were allowed to get so-called gender-affirming care? I mean, you go back 20 years ago, and this basically didn't exist. I mean, there were there were pretty much no kids being subjected to this, or very, very few. Was there was there a, an epidemic of suicide for all those years of kids who were not able to uh, be mutilated and drugged, and so they killed themselves? Was that happening? No, it wasn't. Because this again is a lie. Also, keep keep this in mind. Whenever you hear these breezy statements about the supposed long-term benefits of this kind of, quote, medical treatment in children. Remember that never before in history have millions of children been subjected to this treatment. Nobody can know the long-term effects for sure because this hasn't been done before. The current crop of children are lab rats. It's an enormous social and medical experiment being conducted on an entire generation of children. So check back in 20 years to see how it turned out. Though we can already make some common sense predictions and none of them are good. Here's the point. Well, there's really two points. One, it is a simple fact that what they're calling medical treatment 
can more accurately be described as poisoning, castration, and mutilation in a very literal and straightforward sense. When you give unnecessary hormone pills to physically healthy minors, you're poisoning them. When you give a drug like Lupron to a pubescent boy to block puberty, you are chemically castrating him, which is why the very same drug has been used to chemically castrate sex offenders. And when you perform a medically unnecessary double mastectomy on a physically healthy 14-year-old girl, as is currently happening all across the country to 14-year-olds, you are mutilating her. Does it count as abuse when you drug, poison, castrate, and butcher children? Well, I'm unaware of any workable definition of abuse that would exempt those things. Secondly, none of the children consenting to this treatment are consenting. They can't. All of our laws, especially the laws prohibiting things like child molestation, are grounded in the idea that minors cannot fully consent, even if they say yes to something verbally that does not qualify as full consent because they lack the maturity and the psychological development and the perspective necessary to make informed, rational, and healthy decisions for themselves. This is also why when uh, a 14-year-old commits a crime, in most cases, they aren't charged as adults. Why? Well, because we say they did this thing, it was bad, but they they didn't they couldn't have fully chosen to do it because they didn't they didn't fully understand what they were doing. And yet the same people who want us to believe that 12-year-olds can consent to having their bodies uh, drugged and mutilated, those same people would say that you know, even 18-year-olds shouldn't be tried as an adults because they don't know what they're doing. I mean, like make make a remember remember the sixteen year old kids who did, uh, who um, carjacked a guy in D.C. and killed him, and all they cared about afterwards was finding their phone. Now let's like make a Venn diagram where you know you've got the people who supported trying those girls as children, not adults, and um, also the people who think that uh, because they didn't know what they're doing. And also the people who think that 10-year-olds can consent to gender-affirming care. There's going to be a lot of people in that middle bubble there. A lot of overlap in those groups, which is incoherent. And because children can't choose these treatments, they also cannot choose the consequences that will come down the road. Thousands of kids, soon to be millions of kids, are undergoing medical procedures that will make them sterile and infertile for life. Can they choose that? Can a 13-year-old actually choose to never have children? What does a choice mean made by someone that age? You know, when I was 20, uh, I thought I'd never have kids. I, I, I couldn't imagine wanting kids when I was 20 as an adult. By 25, I had two. So what about 13? I can't even remember what I thought at 13 because it was so long ago, and I was so young that I might as well have been a different person. Kids are making lifelong decisions now that their older selves will have to live with forever. There's a reason why, you know, when you think back to your childhood, your memories often have a kind of dreamlike quality to them. And sometimes you might even confuse a dream from your childhood with an actual event because the two are sort of stored in your brain in the same way and, and, and you remember them the same way. They have the same kind of texture to them and feeling to them. Why is that? Because you viewed the world so differently when you were a kid. You experienced it so differently. You had such a different perspective that your memories are like dreams. Can you imagine if you were saddled with a lifelong physical disability because of something that you decided way back then? And can you imagine 
if your parents went along with it? How could you ever talk to your parents again? Well, soon many millions of young adults will be in exactly that spot. There is a wave of misery coming that we cannot even comprehend unless we stop it now. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, we live in a very exhausting world, and that's why I'm so grateful every day for Helix Sleep, my Helix mattress. And um, it has a quiz, you know, that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for, for you and the way that you sleep. Uh, that's what the, the quiz is all about. Everybody's unique, and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment for, to prevent morning aches and pains. And uh, even a Helix Sleep mattress, Helix Plus mattress for plus size sleepers as well. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store ever again. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it but you will. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com Walsh. That's helixsleep.com Walsh for up to $200 off and two free pillows. All right, so let's uh, check in with the Biden administration and their response to the crisis in uh, Ukraine. Um, so we got a few, we'll start with, we'll get to John Kerry with, with a, a clip that is, like, like so many others, it, it's, it's something that you, you could take this and put it on the Babylon Bee, and you, know, you, would, you would believe that it was parody, but this is actual real life. So we'll get that to, to that in a second. Um, but let's go through some of these clips of uh, Joe Biden addressing the nation yesterday and um, answering questions in a press conference, a few questions anyway. Um, about his response to Putin and what, he, what he's going to do about it. So let's go down the list here and start with uh, clip 5A. If sanctions cannot stop President Putin, what penalty can? I didn't say sanctions couldn't stop him. You've been talking about the threat of these sanctions for several weeks now. Yes, but the threat of the sanctions and imposing the sanctions and seeing the effect of the sanctions are two different things. Okay, They're two but- different things. And we're now going to, he's going to begin to see the effect of the sanctions. And what will that do? How will that change his mindset here, given he's because attacking Ukraine? Because it will so weaken his speak? country that he'll have to make a very, very difficult choice as to whether to continue to move toward being a second-rate power or, in fact, respond. You said in recent weeks that big nations cannot bluff when it comes to something like this. You recently said that the idea of personally sanctioning President Putin was on the table. Is that a step that you're prepared to take? And if it's not, not a bluff, it's on the table. Sanctioning President Putin? Yes. Why not sanction him today, sir? Mr. President. Why not sanction him today, sir? So we're not gonna we're not gonna go after Putin personally. We're not gonna do anything to make him hurt personally. And you know, the, the other the other real big thing here is that um, we're not gonna do anything about uh, oil and, and gas. I mean, we we you know, we still are gonna be relying on Russia for our energy needs, just like the entire Western world is. Because we have no choice at this point. I mean, he has us literally against a barrel here. He has us over over a barrel uh, in more ways than one. 
because we had the opportunity leading up to this to make ourselves, uh, or at least get closer to the objective of energy independence. But Biden put a stop to that. Democrats have been, have been fighting against that for years now. And so what do we do now? Well, we have these toothless, um, pointless sanctions. Let's go to clip uh, six have not been enough to deter Vladimir Putin to this point. What is going to stop him? How and when does this end? And do you see him trying to go beyond Ukraine? And a second question I'll just give to you now. This statement that he gave last night, will that the, West, the threat that he gave, the West will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. Is he threatening a nuclear strike? I have no idea what he's threatening. I know what he has done, number one. And number two, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show this is going to take time and we have to show resolve so he knows what's coming. And so the people of Russia know what he's brought on them. That's what this is all about. This is going to take time. It's not going to occur. He's going to say, oh, my God, these sanctions are coming. I'm going to stand down. He's going to test the resolve of the West to see if we stay together. And we will. We will, and it will impose significant costs on him. I think the most significant thing in that clip is uh, the President of the United States was asked, sir, is, uh, are we going to be nuked? And his answer was, well, I have no idea. Maybe. Stay tuned and find out. You could not possibly select someone who is less equipped to handle a moment like this than Joe Biden. I mean, that, that alone should be, and there's just so many things happening, but, but that alone it should, is, is major headline news. The President of the United States could not offer any assurance that we won't get nuked. Because he also has no idea what, what he's saying. And you can, you can tell based on the words he's using. You can also just see it in his eyes that he always looks lost. And that's why I always say that I, I prefer if he doesn't, I know he, he often gets criticized because he doesn't appear before the media enough. Um, he takes too long to get out and, 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 uh, and, and address situations like this. When the invasion was first underway, you know, Donald Trump was, was speaking about it and he was on top of it, but Biden was asleep. Biden said, I'll get to it in the morning. And what you hear oftentimes from the right and even on the left is a criticism that oh, he needs to, we need to see more of him. I disagree completely. I think the more time he spends on TV, on camera, the worse it is for everybody. Because you could just tell that he is this bumbling, confused, totally lost, doddering old man. It doesn't, doesn't help at all in, in, in any way to have that image projected. I would prefer if he just doesn't appear on camera again. Um, okay, let's go to this. So John Kerry is, uh, what is his official title? He's, I think, the, the climate ambassador. So he's also a doddering old confused man. Um, and uh, he, he could just go off and retire and, and, and be done. But he doesn't want to do that. He has to hang on to some semblance of power. He tried to be president. That didn't work out. Uh, he was in the Senate for a long time, and so he just give him give him some kind of title, give him something to do. He needs to feel important, so they, they made him climate ambassador. And um, here he is speaking to the media 
And this was before uh, the invasion actually happened. But here's, here's his primary concern. Let's listen to this. I'm very concerned about, I'm concerned about Ukraine because of the people of Ukraine and because of the principles that are at risk uh, in terms of international law and trying to change boundaries of international law by force. Uh, I thought we lived in a world that had said no to that kind of activity, and I hope diplomacy will win. But massive uh, emissions consequences to the war, but equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big country attention because they will be diverted, and and, uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. So, you know, I think hopefully President Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over frozen land. Now it's thawing and his infrastructure is at risk and the people of Russia are at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. Well, that'll do it. Just just tell Putin that uh, it's hurting the environment and I'm sure that'll convince him. So as far as John Kerry is concerned, the prospect of a major war, of even world war, it's uh, bad for two reasons. And one is that think of all the emissions that are going to be spewed into the air. And uh, but then also, look, let's let's not make a straw man of his argument. That's not the only thing, the only problem with a, with a world war. The second, and he says equally as important, is that it will distract people's focus from the problem of emissions and climate change. We, uh, we have very unserious people running the government. We have become an, a very unserious nation and civilization, which makes us, again, uh, woefully unequipped for serious moments like this. And speaking of being unserious, um, here's another, another example, not just in the government, but also in media. So the view... You know, if you, if you tune into The View, whoever makes the mistake of doing that, um, maybe, I, I don't know, I don't know what you're expecting when it comes to something like this. I don't know if you're expecting in real insight into, uh, into geopolitics from the ladies of The View. But if that's what you're looking for, you're going to be disappointed. Um, here is Joy Behar. What, what's, what's her main, you know, concern? What, what is she worried might happen if this, um, if this conflict spreads and becomes a world war? Yeah, there's global warming, but as far as she's concerned... There's um, a consequence even more dire than that. Listen. Estimates are 50,000 Ukrainians will be dead or wounded. Yeah. And that this is going to start a humanitarian crisis, a refugee crisis in Europe. We're talking yeah. about 5 million people yeah. that, that are going to be displaced. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear what is going to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm scared of what's going to happen in, in Western Europe, too. Yeah. Ah. You know, you just, you plan a trip, you want to go there, I want to go to Italy for four years. I haven't been able to make it because of of uh, the pandemic. And now this, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, who's going to, what's going to happen there? And now this. First, there was a pandemic of 5 million people died and it stopped me from taking my, my Italy vacation that I've wanted to take. It's been my dream. And now we have war. What else? What else is going to happen to me as Joy Behar? So I, I think um, some, some very compelling arguments have been presented to Putin, and hopefully he's paying attention because, listen, you got to stop this, because if you don't, it's going to kill more polar bears from global warming. And if that's not enough to persuade you, Mr. President, 
then also you're preventing Joy Behar from going on an Italian vacation that, by the way, she's wanted to take for four years. We'll have to see. We'll have to see if that if that does the trick. Um, okay, let's um, let's go. This is hot off the presses here. President Biden from Fox. President Biden is nominating Judge Kentanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court making good on a campaign promise to pick the first black woman for the nation's highest court. Uh, Brown Jackson, 51, is a judge for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. Biden will make the announcement on Friday. Uh, Brown Jackson has uh, faced heightened scrutiny over a judicial record that includes high-profile rulings later overruled by higher judges. Beyond that, uh, I'm just seeing this news now, so I don't know anything else about her. Is she a crazy far-left wacko? You can assume because a Democrat wouldn't nominate anybody else. Um, But one thing that that I'm hearing really from actually from both sides and even some Republicans have come out already and said that, well, she's she's uh, she's very qualified for the job. And that's what we're hearing from the media. She's a a, a super qualified nominee. Uh, If you look at her record, you look at all of her experience, very, very qualified for the job. And she might be. She might be very qualified. Um, Like I said, I I haven't looked at her resume. I don't know. But this is exactly the problem. This this was exactly the problem with coming out ahead of time and saying, I'm going to find a black woman. We're going to narrow it down to begin with to to only black women. And I'm not going to consider anybody outside of that. And no matter how qualified they are. Well, when you eventually nominate a black woman, even if she is the most qualified candidate of all potential candidates, of all races, you've already undermined those qualifications and undermined your own pick by announcing ahead of time this is going to be an affirmative action thing and you're only looking at people from a certain race and gender category. And that becomes even dumber to announce ahead of time, I'm going to pick a black woman, was already a dumb move. It's even dumber if you do end up picking someone who legitimately is the most qualified out of any potential candidate. So if you were going to do that, then why not just nominate her without saying anything ahead of time, making any promises that it's going to be a black woman, just nominate her. And then people will say, oh, you nominated a black woman. And then you can easily say that, well, I nominate her because she's the most qualified. You can't really make that argument now because, again, you said ahead of time that the vast majority of the potential applicants are going to be ruled out from the start because of their race or gender. All right, let's, um, I've had this, also had this case that I've, I've had here on the docket to talk about, and let's get to it now. Um, reading now from the New York Post, this is from a couple days ago. And this is the language they use in their article. Okay, it's not my language. The transgender woman convicted of sexually assaulting a 10-year-old girl reportedly boasted about her two-year sentence as Los Angeles' progressive district attorney uh, admitted the punishment may have been too lenient. District Attorney George Gascone, who faces on ongoing recall efforts, said Sunday that he would have handled Hannah Tubbs' case differently had he known about her disregard for the harm that she caused her 10-year-old victim. Um, the prosecutor said a statement, while for most people, several years of jail time is adequate, it may not be for Ms. Tubbs. 
After her sentencing in our case, I became aware of extremely troubling statements she made about her case, the resolution of it, and the young girl that she harmed. Uh, while in custody, Tubbs made crude and disparaging comments about the girl that he had victimized while boasting that um, she, so again, going back to the language in the article, wouldn't have to register as a sex offender, um, citing a recorded call to her father. So we have some of that audio we can play. This is from a Fox 11 report. This is so-called Hannah Tubbs. And if you're watching this on video, you can see the photograph of Miss Hannah Tubbs, which is just, it's a dude. Okay, this is a guy. Actually, not even making any effort at all to even look like a woman. Just a guy with a with like kind of a, a gross um, half beard. And just a guy, like a buzz cut. But he said, uh, oh, you know what, actually I'm a woman. And so he's going to get to go, you know, he's, he, he, if he went to prison, he'd be going to a woman's prison. Except in this case, he's not going to prison because they decided to try him as a minor. Here's some of the recording of uh, Hannah Tubbs talking to, I believe he's talking to his father in jail. And this is some of what came out. Uh, let's listen to that. Don't worry about it. It's a strike. But they're going to plead, I'm going to plead out to it. I'm going to plead guilty. They're going to stick me on probation and it's going to be dropped. It's going to be done. Done. I won't have to register. I won't have to do nothing. For an offender, you don't have to register? I won't have to do none of that. So what are they going to do to you then? Nothing. Gascon now admits the tub sentence not tough enough, saying in a statement, if we knew about her disregard for the harm she caused, we would have handled this case differently. The complex issues and facts of her particular case were unusual, and I should have treated them that way. So this, again, is someone now 26 years old who had uh, a few years ago molested a 10-year-old girl and was sentenced to um, two years in a juvenile facility, uh, not tried as an adult, and also will not, will not have to register as a sex offender as you heard him bragging about. He's very excited about it. Not going to have to register as a sex offender. So we're going we're we're to let him out, release him onto the public, and we're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to alert the communities about who this guy is and what he's done. So, hey, I mean, your kids might um, go over there and knock on his door for trick-or-treating. Yeah, you, you, would, you would be none the wiser. Now, uh, again, the, the prosecutor says that he wasn't aware of these calls. And there was, there was much more that, um, quote unquote, Hannah Tubbs said in these calls, gloating about the fact, about what he did and, and um, disparaging his victim and gloating about the lenient sentence. Although it shouldn't, that shouldn't even matter, right? The fact that he made these calls and was bragging about the fact that he uh, doesn't have to go to prison, that, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't matter. You shouldn't need the calls to know that this perverted freak needs to be behind bars for a long time. I mean, really forever. It really, it actually shouldn't make a difference that he was bragging about it in phone calls. But actually, as it turns out, um, the DA did know about this. So this is from Fox. It says, files obtained by Fox News Digital show Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon's office was aware of disturbing jailhouse recordings of transgender child molester Hannah Tubbs gloating about a light sentence on February 2nd. Gascon released a statement Sunday denying knowledge of the recordings until after Tubbs' sentencing, but audio files sent to Gascon's office on February 2nd contained titles such as Pled to Avoid Adult Jail Time, Racist, Time in the Hole Doesn't Care Because He's Been Sentenced, Won't Have to Register, and then uh, in other, in other titles as well, some of them more, more vulgar. 
So we have evidence that the DA was given these uh, uh, these files and knew about it and uh, still passed down the sentence anyway. And as bad as all that is, just adding insult to injury here, reading these media reports, even from supposedly conservative outlets, media reports that take a negative view of what's happened, and rightly so, they still are diligently making sure that they respect the pronouns of this child rapist. Still, and you saw what the guy looked like. This dude, who is just a dude, just a, just a, just a guy, who, who just declared one day, actually, I'm a woman. And even with him, they feel that they have to respect his pronouns and refer to him as a, as a woman. Why? Because you know it's not true. And are we worried about this uh, affirming this man's self-perception? Are you actually worried about hurting his feelings? That's just the, the, the total absurdity of it. Even the people who are outraged by it, and rightly so, still are not so outraged that they would dare hurt this man's feelings by misgendering him. That's what we've gotten. Okay, let's get now to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Well, if you want to leave a video comment, you go to dailywire.com slash sweetbabycomments. And uh, it says on my clip sheet here that we've got a funny this is a, in all caps, supposedly a funny comment. That's what McKenna, producer McKenna, is claiming anyway, so we'll see. You're on the hook. Let's see. Let's watch. Hey, Mr. Mayor Walsh, how's it going? I, I'm sorry, buddy. I just can't bring myself to call nobody sweet baby daddy, you know, at least not at this juncture, you know. But, uh, but it's Uncle Murray here, and I saw that one video that you had of a guy returning the shopping carts, you know, the, uh, don't make me maddie, sweet baby daddy, chukka chukka pucka right? And it's all good and everything, but, uh, but I got the, how about something else? How about, I, I submit this to you. How about return your bottles, huh? How about we do that? Return your bottles, and then you hit the little button, and it go poop, and... Then look at that. You got a little something for your effort, you know? Every little bit helps, you see. And then how about this? Return your library books, you lazy schmuck. Some of us are waiting to read them books you got checked out, you know? Return your library books or die. Oh, then maybe this one. Throw away your stupid mess and return to normal, huh? How about that kind of return, huh? Return to normalcy. Oh, oh, but I, I got the best one, though. I, I get the best one right here, you know? How about, you know, re return to Jesus, huh? How about we all do that? That'll that'll take care of the whole mess. Because, uh, you know, whether you return to Jesus or not, he's coming back. And if you haven't returned to Jesus, if you haven't come to him, then the whole thing's going to go south real quick. You want to go to AG Double Hockey Sticks? No? Well, then worship Jesus, you moron. <laughs> but until then, I'll keep returning the shopping carts. Shukapaka Maddie, sweet baby daddy, la la la. Uh, McKenna's banned from the show. That this is, how long was that? Seven and a half minutes? What happened? What was that? Why was that? Who goes to libraries? I have a lot of questions. And I'm glad that we could all experience that together. Um, and uh, McKenna, ZipRecruiter is where I would go to find a new job. So, cool Papa J Magic says, this wouldn't have happened under 
Trump, uh, talking about Ukraine now, <laughs> well, this that video might not have happened under Trump either. This wouldn't have happened under Trump. You can hate him all you want, but it's true. Uh, I, we know that it wouldn't have happened. We don't have to. We don't have to speak hypothetically about it. It didn't happen under Trump. There was four years of relative peace, about as, as peaceful as the world can possibly be, um, under Trump. And we can, you can speculate about why that is and how it turned out that way, but it did not happen under Trump. And I think one of the reasons for that is um, that Trump was not very predictable. And so I think the world leaders, especially in places like China and Russia, you know, they, they didn't know exactly what he would do, how he would respond to things. And there are, there are, there are downsides to um, a lack of predictability in your president. But this is one of the upsides. Now, Biden, on the other hand, is very predictable. I mean, he's a vegetable. And you know exactly what he's going to do, which is, you know, basically nothing. Um, Buckman says, I agree with Matt's view on the U.S. convoy. I fear that it's far too disorganized to actually achieve anything. Yeah, and I found out after the fact, uh, a couple people messaged me and, and said that uh, I played the clip of the one of the guys in D.C. who says that he's a, an organizer of the of the truck convoy, and at least according to some of the comments I've gotten, they said that he's this guy's not even a trucker. I don't know if that's true or not exactly, but um, it, it is. It'll be kind of interesting if you have non-truckers that are now involved in organizing this truck convoy. Um, yeah, I think if you're if you're going to do something like this, uh, at at a minimum, you have to have very clear goals in mind, like we talked about yesterday. You have to know exactly why you're doing it and have a unified message. The problem, one of the many problems with this convoy is depending on who you're listening to and who's doing the interview, you kind of get different reasons, different motivations behind it. And that's not going to be nearly good enough because if you start causing gridlock and shutting down cities and doing all that kind of stuff, um, people are going to want to know why you're doing it. And if the answer is sort of a shrug, well, you know, just in general freedom, that's not going to be a good enough answer. All right. Um, Bro Total says, Matt not doing dog chores because the dog trainer told him not to is simply him doing what we've all been told to do for the last two years. He's just listening to the experts. His wife is a dog science denier. Thank you. That's exactly the point that I've been making. Mike says, Matt, with all your criticisms of the military, why don't you join and show us how it's done? Well, first of all, my criticisms are of the, the leadership, especially civilian leadership, not of the individuals who are choosing to serve. I think that's a pretty obvious distinction there. And a, a nuance that I, I believe you're choosing not to see. Second, no, I don't want to go fight potentially a world war. I mean, I'm against that. I don't want any of our people fighting that. Um, I have no interest in potentially dying to fight Russia over Ukraine. Or even to protect a Europe that Europeans lack the will to defend themselves. Um, I don't want that for me. Why would I, why would I sign up to potentially do that? I, I don't want it for anybody. That's my whole point. My point is, I don't want our service members being thrown into the middle of a conflict like this, where many of them will die. And so I don't understand the response from you and so many others saying, well, you, you, you have no right to say that if you haven't served. I think that's a more logical response for the people who haven't served or are not serving now, and yet are just casually saying, yeah, let's, let's, let's go to war with Russia. When you're kind of casually trying to inject our troops into the middle of something 
and waving away the fact that uh, many of them are going to die and you, you are not serving yourself while you're doing that, that I think that's a relevant criticism. Um, and in terms of the, the criticisms over the, the continued wokeness of the military, um, again, no, I, I, I wouldn't want to join you know, an increasingly wokeified military. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to want my sons to join the military either if things continue this way. And that's something that at a certain point in my life I couldn't imagine myself saying, but now that's how I feel about it. If things continue down this road. Um, where radical leftism continues to infiltrate into the military. Because if my sons go serve, you know, the thing is when you're in the military, you can't just get up and leave one day. You are totally subjected to it. But again, that's not a criticism of the military itself or the people who join. It's a criticism of how it's run. That's a distinction. As we see conflict unfolding between Russia and Ukraine, it's become increasingly clear that dictators are not to be trusted. And as our country supported Ukraine's move to hand over its nuke in, uh, nukes in 1994 in exchange for Russia's promise to not invade, it appears that uh, we are not to be trusted either. That's why it's more important than ever to understand just how insidious these foreign threats are within our own country. And we have to we have just the way to do that and help you do that. It's our new show, The Enemy Within. It's a docuseries featuring acclaimed journalist and expert in national threats, Lee Smith. Smith uncovers a political coup orchestrated by America's ruling class to generate their own wealth and power in exchange for the slow rise of China's uh, Communist Party in America. In the, uh, the fourth episode, Lee describes how the NBA has come to depend on China for much of its profits, and as a result, how the NBA and its players have become a mouthpiece for CCP propaganda. Check out the trailer here. What if everything we think we know about our leaders, our society, and our relations with the rest of the world is wrong? America is facing two major challenges. One is the Chinese Communist Party. However, the most significant threat comes from within. You're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world. Okay. Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about. We've already seen evidence of how the elites want to run the United States. They're modeling themselves after Chinese autocracy. For over a decade, the People's Republic of China has stood publicly accused of acts of cruelty and wickedness that match the cruelty and wickedness of medieval torturers and executioners. Diane Feinstein had a Chinese spy as her driver for 20 years. We're not talking about one person infiltrating senior levels at the CIA or the White House. We're talking about an entire elite class throughout the political, corporate, academic, cultural, and media establishment. My name is Lee Smith. I've been a journalist for more than 30 years. This is the most astonishing espionage and infiltration operation in history. What you're going to see in this series will shock you. This is The Enemy Within. All episodes of The Enemy Within are streaming now exclusively at The Daily Wire. So if you're not a member, now's the time to change that. Head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join today. You know, also, there's no better place for a grand meeting of the minds than sitting down over a cup of coffee and letting conversation flow 
Nobody knows that better than Ben Shapiro. In his new show, The Search, we'll be taking you to his favorite local spots to let you in on a secret, which is where the conversation goes when the camera isn't rolling, even though the camera is rolling, but, you know, whatever. The second episode of The Search features his very good friend, highly lauded historian, Niall Ferguson. It's an excellent conversation, and I highly recommend you check it out. The episode released last night, and it's exclusive to Daily Wire members. So if you're not currently a member, head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to uh, join today. And finally, you know, it's, it's always time for new voices to enter the transgender conversation because, as always, diversity is extremely important. That's why I authored the best-selling children's LGBTQ plus book, Johnny the Walrus, and also why I was invited to Dr. Phil to discuss these issues as an expert in the field with other people who were supposedly experts, but they couldn't tell me what a woman was. So it turns out that they were not experts. Uh, and if you haven't seen any of those clips, just go check it out. But even more importantly... If you haven't picked up a copy of my best-selling children's book, you should do so immediately. It's sold out of 48 hours when it was released. Uh, literary sensation of the year. But don't worry, more copies are on the way. Reserve Johnny the Walrus now on Amazon or go to johnnythewalrus.com. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Ever since the current crisis began in Ukraine, the world has shuddered in dread and anticipation, terrified that at any moment the celebs might get involved. And we all knew that it was bound to happen. And it only took a few weeks of the pandemic before Charlize Theron and her celebrity friends recorded a video of themselves singing Imagine, a rendition so horrible, you'll remember, so off-key and tone-deaf in every sense of the term, that it somehow managed to be even worse than the original version. So what would the celebs do um, about Ukraine? That was the question. What song would they sing? What PSA would they record? These are the questions that plagued us, and now they've been answered. And I'm afraid that it's, it's, it's far worse than you could have ever imagined. Anna Lynn McCord is an actress that I've never heard of, but she's apparently appeared in many films. Um, her Wikipedia informs me that she, is also, uh, she was also a Teen Choice Award nominee in 2009. So her resume is undoubtedly impressive, but it can do nothing to rescue what I'm about to play for you. Miss McCord has apparently been watching the events unfold across the ocean and has arrived at the conclusion that whatever the particulars of this geopolitical conflict, really it's all about her. She may not be a foreign policy expert, mind you, but she does know, based on her experience, that she is somehow at the center of it. Just as she may not be an astronomer by trade, but she still knows that the Earth and the Sun and all of the stars revolve around her. Anna Lynn McCord subscribes to the McCordiocentric theory of the universe, you might say. And that's what led her to record and publish this video. Your challenge here will be to listen to it for more than five seconds without dying of cringe. In fact, in penance for all of our sins, I'm going I'm to try to let this play for 80 seconds. And don't look away. Don't cover your ears. Don't turn off the, the, this off. We're going to endure this together and, and be better for it in our suffering. Watch. Dear President Vladimir Putin, I'm so sorry that I was not your mother. If I was your mother, you would have been so loved held in the arms of joyous light. Never would the stories plight the world unfurled before our eyes, a pure demise of nations sitting peaceful under a night sky. If I was your mother, the world would have been warm, so much laughter and joy and nothing would harm. I can't imagine the stain, the soul-stealing pain that the little boy you must have seen and believed and the formulation of thought quickly taught that you lived in a cruel, unjust world. Is this why you now decide no one will get the best of you? I can't do it anymore. I don't know. We didn't get 80 seconds in. I just, I can't. 
Um, so breaking news for you. Putin has heard this poem and is now launching a full-scale nuclear attack against the United States because of it. And you can hardly blame him. I actually welcome it. Now, <clears throat> there are times in life when you encounter something so crazy, so deranged, that your mind kind of shuts down and prevents you from confronting and comprehending the insanity in its fullness. And a sentence like, I'm so sorry I was not your mother, has just that effect. It's the kind of thought that only a lunatic could have in a situation like this, much less say out loud on video. It's therefore not really possible for a rational person to understand the thought process that went into this. I mean, did she actually imagine a possible scenario where Putin would be scrolling Twitter, stumble across her poem, listen to it, and be like swayed by it? Did she imagine Putin tears welling up in his eyes, calling his generals and saying, never mind, the war's off. I choose laughter and joy instead. Come, let us all clasp hands and sing songs of love and hope. Is that what she thought would happen? Perhaps, though it's more likely that she simply intended to get a bunch of likes and retweets and pats on the back from an adoring public, which was also a delusional hope. She probably hadn't thought it through much more than that. Also, I can't help but note the fact that Anna from what I can tell based on her available biography, um, is not a mother. So she is a childless 35-year-old woman, and yet she's quite sure that her parenting skills, if only she had children, would be so flawless that she could, as she says in her poem, create a utopia of, quote, nations sitting peaceful under a night sky. That's how good of a mother she would be. I remember when I had similar delusions about my own parenting skills. Maybe not quite that megalomaniacal, but, you know, close enough. And then I realized that it's hard enough to get my own kids to go to bed and sleep peacefully under a night sky, much less entire nations. I still have not mastered that eight years in. How do you get kids to just go to bed and sleep peacefully? I, I, I haven't done it one time. I have not succeeded yet. Entire nations, the whole world? Forget about it. Now, the best and most generous possible interpretation of this poem is that Anna McCord is sort of sweetly clueless in a naive, feminine, maternalistic sort of way. And she thinks that snuggles and hugs can solve any problem, doesn't realize that a, a tendency towards conflict and land disputes and tribalism and warfare are deeply ingrained in the human psyche. And all of the snuggles in the world won't change that. But if this was just rooted in a sort of optimistic yet ignorant and simple-minded misunderstanding of human nature, it would perhaps not be worthy of the same level of mockery that it's receiving. Because it's well-intentioned, you know, just really stupid. Unfortunately, I, I think the truth is not quite so rosy for Anna McCord. It is, as usual, less a matter of naive innocence than of extreme suffocating narcissism. A narcissism so immense in its severity and scope that she not only believes she could single-handedly cure the world of violence and war, but that it's a good idea for her to make this claim while the world is in the midst of violence and war. And it's for that reason, it's for the narcissism, that ultimately we must say um, the same thing I would say to Anna McCord if I was her mother. You're canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. 
Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven.